Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. So, peace, that's a word when we think of, we think maybe um, an absence of conflict. That's a good understanding of peace. If I'm at peace with somebody, we're not fighting. Or sometimes we think about this inner sense of serenity or calm or tranquility. And both of those are good definitions. The biblical definition is, is broader. It encompasses those two points, but it's broader. Biblically, uh, peace is a state and that's a big word. It's a state. It's ongoing or it's a condition of the heart of wholeness and harmony and well-being. So wholeness, that's to be sound, to be undamaged, to be undivided. Harmony, that's to be in right relationship first with God, then with others and well-being, which is welfare. In the Old Testament, it was literally about health and wealth, health and prosperity. In the New Testament, those words are, are spiritualized, our spiritual health and our spiritual um, prosperity. So that's what peace is, that state of wholeness, harmony, and well-being. And to me, and we're gonna spend a lot of time on this, this may feel tedious, but I think it's important. What, what's the basis of peace? That is the definition, period, dot the end. This is me. The basis of peace, when I think about, it, it's a conviction that I'm saved and that I'm adopted into God's family, that I'm saved, that my enemies have been defeated, and that I've been adopted into God's family, that I'm in a right relationship with him, and my inheritance is secure. So we're gonna build that out. And again, this may feel a bit tedious on the front end, but I think it's important. I feel like for many of us, peace is fleeting and it's based on circumstances. And that's not the, the peace that Jesus wants to give us. The peace that he wants to give us is much deeper and it's based on something much more solid than just how things happen to be going how much money we've got in the bank or whether we got, did well in school or whether our boss patted us on the back or whether the guy that we wanted won the election or whatever those things are. Our peace should be rooted in something, Jesus would desire our peace to be rooted in something much deeper. So this is Mark 1. Uh, he talks about, this is the introduction to the ministry of John the Baptist. Remember John, relative of Jesus, a few months older than Jesus, who has a very important role to play in Jesus's ministry. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, as it's written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's lots of things that we could say about John, but specifically today, Christmas, thinking of Christmas in general, and then specifically this idea of peace, we're gonna focus on his message. So John's ministry was, was prophesied, predicted, foretold in the Old Testament. You'll see the scriptures there behind me if you wanna go run that down. And it was very important. He was a forerunner. He was a way preparer. He was getting the Jews ready for the arrival of Jesus. John didn't know Jesus was the Messiah. We do on this side of the cross. And so we'll say John was preparing the Jews for the arrival 
of Jesus. He just knew he was preparing the Jews for the arrival of the Messiah. And the way he did that, the heart or the meat of his message was to repent. To repent is literally to change your mind, but it's not solely a mental activity. There's always a corresponding change in behavior. So to repent is to change your mind and then to change your behavior accordingly. You can think about Jesus's invitation, follow me. And so to repent, it's that it's the course corrections along the way that kind of keep us moving back towards him. I like, the, I like, in my mind, when I think about repentance, I think about turning and going in a new direction. There's the turning, that's the changing of my mind, and then the going in a new direction. That's the, that's the, the evidence of my repentance. And Luke, Luke talks more about John the Baptist ministry than Mark does. John tells people, he says, y'all need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Yes, you need to be baptized. That's a sign or a symbol of this inner heart change, of that, that inward change that you're making. But there also should be outward evidence. And in Luke, he gives some specifics and they're all tied to how people use their money, which uh, may, may be the things that we need to hear. But there should be some evidence of the fact that you've changed your mind. You've moved from disagreeing with God to agreeing with God. And keep in mind, John is preaching to Jews who would have thought because of their Jewishness that they were ready. The Messiah was who God was sending to them and because they were his people, well, kind of by default, they're ready for the Messiah. And John's saying, no, in Luke, he actually says, from, this, from these rocks, God can raise up children of Abraham. Don't, don't think that your ancestry is enough. This is about the condition of your heart. How does that tie into peace and how does that tie into Christmas? One, repentance is the pathway to right relationship with God. Again, think about following Jesus. If he's walking down this aisle, we're prone to straying, we're prone to going off on our own, we're prone to drifting and repentance are those course corrections that keep us in step with him. And that's not just a one-time repentance when we initially say yes to Jesus, that's, an, that's ongoing when I recognize I'm, I'm straying, I'm, I've stepped over the line, I've, I've missed the mark, I've disobeyed, however we wanna characterize sin, when I've done that, repentance is that, ooh, I've, I've recognized that, I acknowledge that, I change my mind and I start walking after him. Again, it, it, repentance is what helps us maintain that right relationship with God. So again, John preaching a baptism of repentance, he's saying you guys need to line up with what God's about to do through the Messiah. John also, the one he's preparing the way for is the Prince of Peace. Two of the most well-known Christmas scriptures, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Maybe the most well-known prophecy about the coming Messiah, Isaiah 6, 9. To us, a child is given, a son is born, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, uh, Everlasting Father, Almighty God, Prince of Peace. When we hear Prince of Peace, we tend to think of something kind of sweet and cute. That's not what the Jews would have heard. In Isaiah's day, what they hear, Prince of Peace, is they hear a guy with a sword. They hear a warrior king, somebody like David, who's going to lead their army in victory. Israel's this pretty tiny nation surrounded by much bigger nations who are constantly attacking. So when they hear Prince of Peace, what they hear is, here's somebody who's going to defeat our enemies and secure our borders. Remember, the inheritance that God gave to Israel was land. Here's the dirt that y'all get to live on. And that dirt was constantly under attack. And so for them to hear Prince of Peace, they're saying someone's gonna defeat these enemies who keep picking on us and is gonna secure our borders so that our inheritance is safe. And then we'll experience peace. 
Peace will be the result of defeating our enemies and securing our borders. Again, you can think about David and how he led Israel. That's what they're hearing when they say, when Isaiah says Prince of Peace. And that was one of the primary reasons Jesus was rejected is he didn't do that. He didn't overthrow the Roman government and he didn't reestablish Israel as an independent nation. John the Baptist actually at one point says, sends his disciples to Jesus to say, were you actually the right guy? Were you actually the, I thought you were the Messiah, but based on what's been happening since you've been doing this ministry, I'm not sure anymore. Because the bad guy, the, the, the oppressors are still in power. You haven't led us to victory yet. And Jesus quotes back all the things that he is doing. Good news is preached to the poor, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. But that was, a, that was an issue for a lot of people. Again, primary reason Jesus was rejected. They didn't see him as fulfilling those prophecies. He wasn't the prince of peace that they were thinking that he would be. John the Baptist prepares the way for the prince of peace. Luke 2, maybe the most well-known verse in the New Testament concerning Jesus' birth. The angels appear to the shepherds at night like Jesus is born and they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to all those upon whom God's favor rests. Jesus' birth results in glory or honor to God and peace to humanity, peace to the world. And using our Isaiah 6, or, or excuse me, Isaiah 9 version of peace and our definition of peace, this is clunky, but it's maybe important for us to hear Glory to God in the highest and on earth, a state of wholeness and harmony and well-being that's been established through the defeating of our enemies and the securing of our borders to all of God's people. That, that's what the angel is saying. He's just using one word for it. When he says peace, what he's saying is a state of wholeness and harmony and well-being that's established through the defeating of your enemies and the securing of your inheritance for all of God's people. That, that's, that's what's on the table for us. How does the birth of a baby accomplish that? Jesus' birth creates the conditions for peace because his birth leads to his death. He can't die if he's not first born. It's on the cross that Our enemies are defeated. Satan is disarmed or defeated. That we read that in Colossians. You can see those scriptures behind me. Colossians 2, the powers and the principalities are disarmed on the cross. Death is overthrown. We see that primarily through the resurrection of Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so we can be in a right relationship with God. Our inheritance is secured. I've come that you would have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. All of those things are accomplished for us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The conditions for a state of wholeness and well-being are, are won by him on the cross. That's why the angel can say, and on earth, peace. He's looking forward 33 years to Jesus' death and saying at that point, all peace will be established or at least will be possible for all of God's people. Again, that may feel a bit tedious to you, but I want your foundation for peace to be solid. Your, your, your peace, if that, if in your mind, if you're thinking that sense of rest and wholeness and serenity, if that's just based on your circumstances, you're not in any better shape than people who don't know the Lord. 
if it's temporary and it's fleeting. And for many of us, if we were honest, we would say, that, that's me. It is temporary and it's fleeting. I want you to know the rock that your peace is built, the foundation that's not shakable. This, this is reality for you. You can walk in wholeness and in harmony and in well-being because your enemies have been defeated. You know that. Your primary enemies are Satan and death and they've both already been overcome. They're done. Your inheritance, your abundant and eternal life is secure. Romans 5, if we've been adopted into God's family, we're his sons and daughters, then we're also heirs with him and co-heirs with Jesus. That's why I said our peace, for me, peace is based on the conviction that I've been saved, that my, my enemies, Satan and death have been defeated and I've been adopted into God's family, that I'm in a right relationship with him, I have harmony with him, and that also makes me an heir, so my future is secure. That's your foundation as well. You've been saved and you've been adopted into his family. We live in a world that's chaotic And if peace is based on all of our circumstances lining up, if it's gotta be butterflies and rainbows, we're gonna experience that very briefly, fleetingly so. And I don't, that's not what the Lord wants for us. You all remember the story, you can read it. We don't have time, Mark 4, the last few verses. Jesus calms the storm. That's a peace picture that we think of. Jesus and the disciples are in a boat. There's a boat behind me. Maybe something like it. it's not super big, 27 feet long, about eight feet wide. They're on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus falls asleep in the back of that boat. And then according to Mark, it's a, it's a, it's a furious squall. Very strong storm pops up. That's normal on the Sea of Galilee. And somehow, and this may be the biggest miracle in the story, Jesus stays asleep during the midst of that. If you can imagine that, have you ever been asleep in a hurricane? I don't know how you, he's got rain falling on him. But anyway, he's sleeping. And the disciples are freaking out, which is normal. And they think they're gonna die. And so they wake Jesus up. And here's the question that sometimes we think, but we're, we don't say out loud. They were at least bold enough to say it out loud. Don't you care? Don't you care? Aren't you concerned? Are you not interested in our well-being? Jesus gets up and he calms the storm and, he's, and, he, and he calls them out says, why are you guys so afraid? And they're probably going, did you see, you were asleep. We were afraid of the storm. Where, why do you, what, where, where's your faith? That's what he says. Do you still have no faith? Can, can you, do you not trust me in this? And for many of us, again, that, that's where we live. Intellectually, we know Jesus is with us. But our feeling is he's asleep in the boat and he's not asleep because he has so much trust in his father. He's asleep because he's not interested or doesn't, is not concerned about what's going on in our life. Worry is a primary enemy. I would say probably the greatest enemy to our peace. We live in a chaotic world, but for many of us, our own lives, chaos may be too strong a word, but we would say, yeah, there's, there's upheaval, there's distress, there's disturbance in my life and that seems to be pretty regular for me. That, that's not an uncommon feature of my life and, and it does shake me. And so I either kind of go into denial and pretend those things aren't there. Or I go into kind of hyper control mode and I'm trying to 
orchestrate every event to get the desired outcome, all of those things are rooted in worry. New Testament worry, it's, it's apprehension about something bad happening in the future. It's being anxious about misfortune. I don't know what's gonna happen and I'm concerned that whatever happens is gonna be a not good thing. And so that kicks me into worry. Some of you have clinical anxiety and I would encourage you to get the, take advantage of the professional help that's offered to you. Don't beat yourself up about that. Use the tools that are available. Go talk to somebody. For kind of the garden variety anxiety that we all and worry that we all wrestle with, I want you to hear a few things. One, and this is not meant to heap guilt on your head, but it's reality. Worry is a sin. In Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says, don't worry. So if we worry, what are we doing? Disobeying Jesus. The fact that he says don't worry means we can not worry. Like it's possible. For most of us, we can't even fathom that life. We, we, we can look at a kid, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, they don't worry. But it seems like a rite of passage becoming an adult is you start to worry. We become fretters and hand wringers and antacid takers and all of the things that we do because we're, we're worried. We're anxious, we're apprehensive about bad things happening in the future that we can't control. And Jesus says, don't. In Philippians 4, Paul says, don't be anxious. Anxious is the same word as worry. Don't be anxious about anything. That's a comprehensive statement. Leaves nothing out. But in everything, another comprehensive statement, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. So that's a very simple recipe, for lack of a better word, for dealing with worry. You're going to be tempted to worry. Temptation is not a sin. You're going to be tempted. When you're tempted to worry, pray. Get God involved. The disciples, for whatever they did wrong on the boat, the one thing they did right was they woke Jesus up. They knew he could help. And so they woke him up. We can pray. You can pray 50 times a day, every time you're tempted to worry. You don't have to pray for an hour. You can pray for 15 seconds. God, I'm in this moment, I'm tempted to worry and I'm confessing that to you. And now back to John the Baptist, I repent. I recognize I'm not agreeing with you about the future. I've strayed off on my own. I'm fretting and I'm apprehensive about some negative future outcome. And now I want to realign myself with you, my good father. Repentance, it's that path. It's that pathway that gets us back aligned with the Lord. It helps keep us in peace. Not just peace with him, but that internal peace as well. This is, we're going to take communion. The way we do that here at Stonebridge, we'll come forward a row at a time, break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. There's gluten-free communion that'll be in these baskets. As we take communion, we're reminded of that foundation for our peace. We're reminded that our enemies have been defeated. We're reminded that our future is secure. Remember, that's your foundation. That's what you're standing on. Peace is not, it's, again, it's not denying reality. It's not even denying that bad things may happen in the future. It's a recognition that Jesus is with you in the boat. And that he cares. 
that he's concerned and interested in what's going on in your heart and in your life. Doesn't mean he's always gonna fix things the way you want things fixed, but it means he's always with us. Your enemies have been defeated. You're in a right relationship with God and your future's secure. You've been saved and you've been adopted and communion reminds us of that. In addition to taking communion, I'm gonna ask you to do one other thing. If you're on the inside aisle, there's a basket. I want you to grab a basket. I want everybody to grab a note card. If you weren't here last week, there are also gift tags in there. If you weren't here last week and you want to fill out a gift tag, you can. So those gift tags, what we talked about last week was hope. And and so what we wrote on the gift tag was, what's one thing I'm hoping for? Hope, a confident expectation of a better future. What am I hoping God does in my life over this next month? And if you weren't here last week and you wanna write something down, you can write it down, put it in the basket on your way out. We have a group that prays every uh, Tuesday morning and we pray through those tags. You don't need to put your name on anything, not on the note card and not on the tag. On the note card, what I want you to do is I want you to list the things that are worrying you right now on December 10th at 1029. And you may need another note card. It's that you write as much as you want. Trivial or significant, you write them all down. I'm gonna give you a few seconds to do that. When I'm done, when I start talking again, you can keep writing. But I want you to write everything that, that, that's, that's creating anxiety or apprehension in you, the things that keep you up at night, the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning, the areas where if you were most honest, you'd say Jesus is asleep, write them down. You can keep writing. I'm gonna start talking again just for the sake of time. So what we're gonna ask you to do when you take communion is bring that note card up and there's a basket here and there's one over there on the side as well. And I want you to drop that note card in the basket and then I want you to take communion. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him. That word anxiety, it's the noun form of don't worry and don't be anxious from Matthew 6 and Philippians 4. So don't be anxious or cast your anxiety. So you dropping that note card in, as trite as that may feel, we're gonna say this is us casting these cares or these worries upon you. And the reason Peter says to do that is because he cares for us. And I think that's significant. Peter was in that boat in Mark. And from what we know about Peter, he probably was yelling the loudest, don't you care about us? And now here we have him towards the end of his life, maybe 25, 30 years later, telling his churches who are experiencing persecution, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's gone from wondering, do you care, to knowing that he does. And the difference is the cross. That's where he was convinced. And so we're gonna take communion as a, as a reminder to our hearts. He cares. He is concerned and interested. If he's sleeping, it's because of the great trust he has in his father, not because he's unaware or unconcerned about what's going on in your life. And he would probably tell you you could take a nap too. Bo's gonna come back up and he's gonna lead us in a time of ministry. If you're helping with communion, you can uh, come take your spot as well. We'll have ministry teams here in the corners and we'll pray with you about whatever you have going on. You came in with the need, we wanna pray with you. If you really are, if worry is something that 
is way, if it, if you would say your life is marked by worry, at least in this season, don't feel beat up. Let us pray with you about that. Like, don't feel like you gotta handle that on your own. We would love the opportunity to pray with you about that. You can come and kneel and we'll leave you alone if that's what you prefer. So everybody can stand. We're gonna pray this prayer out loud and then we're gonna um, take communion. So we're gonna pray this. This is the prayer of the worrier. And then we're going to, um, then we'll take communion. So we're gonna start with that first word, Father, and we're gonna pray this out loud till we get to that italicized line. Father, I confess that I'm prone to worry, that I become apprehensive when thinking about the future. Jesus, I confess that I often feel like you were asleep in the boat during the storms of my life. This morning, I repent of my worry. I agree with you, Jesus, that worry reveals a lack of trust in the Father, and I desire to trust him more fully. I now cast these anxieties on you, and you can just mentally work through that note card. And then let's say that last line together out loud. Because I know you care for me. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 